Hi, everyone. This is Podcast for Patients with the Aplastic Anemia and MDS International Foundation. I'm Lee Clark, Director of Patient Services. Our podcast series is brought to you with special thanks to our patients, families, and caregivers like you and our corporate sponsors. Thank you so much to everyone for supporting this important series. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, COVID vaccines and an update on COVID-19 with Dr. Veronica Diaverte, who is an infectious disease specialist at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland. Thank you so much, Dr. Diaverte, for joining us today. Thank you for inviting. So we'll get started. What are the types of vaccines that are currently available? So there are three types of vaccines that are currently available in the United States. So the messenger RNA vaccines, the protein subunit vaccines, and the vector vaccines. The messenger RNA vaccine is essentially a small molecule that tells your body how to make proteins. And so it contains a code that tells yourself to make very small harmless proteins from COVID-19 that are just like those on the virus. These small proteins are then recognized to be different from your own normal proteins so that your immune system reacts against them and triggers an antibody response. So these two vaccines include the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. <clears throat> the protein subunit vaccine includes Novavax, which also contains a very small viral protein subunit, also unique to COVID-19. And then when it enters your body, the immune system again reacts to it and triggers a nice antibody response. And lastly, the vector vaccines such as the Janssen or Johnson & Johnson, they use another virus to deliver harmless proteins that are unique to COVID-19, but the virus has been made safe and cannot cause an infection. Some things that are very important to remember, so first of all, you cannot and will not get COVID-19 from the vaccine. All these vaccines contain very small viral particles that are dead, therefore cannot cause an infection. The side effects that you get from the vaccines are not from the virus itself, but rather from your immune system's inflammatory reaction to the vaccine components. Secondly, the vaccine will not change or damage your own genetic information. And lastly, even though you're vaccinated, you should continue to practice safe measures. So that is wearing masks, washing hands, and maintaining social distancing. The goal of the vaccines are to protect you from severe forms of the infection. You can still get infected if you're vaccinated, but will likely only have very mild symptoms. And if you get infected and remain asymptomatic, you can still pass the virus to other people and be contagious. And so the safety measures are still to keep both you and those around you safe. Who is eligible for vaccination? So I think anybody older than six months of age is eligible. But different types of vaccine were granted approval for different ages. And so ultimately, eligibility depends on the age, the type of vaccine under consideration, and prior vaccination status. If you were previously vaccinated and had an adverse reaction to that particular vaccine type, 
that could also determine your eligibility in terms of types of vaccine you could get to, for example, there's a very particular situation with the Janssen or Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine, which is authorized for adults ages 18 years and older for the primary serious dose. In, in certain limited situations, because of the risk of thrombosis with thrombocytopenia syndrome called TTS. And so essentially this vaccine can be given or offered when there's an absolute contraindication to messenger RNA vaccines, so the Moderna and the Pfizer, and to Novavax, or when a person would otherwise remain unvaccinated for COVID-19 due to limited access to other types of COVID-19 vaccines, or when a person wants to receive Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine, despite the safety concerns identified. When are you considered up to date on your vaccinations? So whether you're up to date with vaccine also depends on your age, the type of vaccine you first receive, and the length of time since your last dose. If you are immunocompromised, then that also determines the numbers and types of vaccine you have to get to be considered up to date. So prior to jumping into vaccination schedule, I just want to quickly review the different conditions that will put you in the category of immunocompromised patients. And so those patients that are actively receiving treatment for solid tumors and hematologic malignancy. Those patients that have hematologic malignancies that have been associated with poor vaccine responses, regardless of current treatment status. And so it doesn't matter if you're in chemo or not, if you have, for example, chronic lymphocytic leukemia, non-Hodgkin lymphomas, multiple myelomas, and others, you are still considered immunocompromised and for the vaccines. Solid organ transplant recipients taking immunosuppressive therapy, so those include kidney, lungs, hearts, and others. If you had previously received a stem cell transplant or chimeric antigen receptor T cell therapy, better known as CAR T cell therapy. If you have a moderate or severe primary immune deficiency, meaning that you were born with that, and the most common example is common variable immunodeficiency. If you have either advanced or untreated HIV infection, and then there are a number of different medications that can uh, make your immune system weak, and that includes, for example, taking prednisone or a steroid, 20 milligrams or more per day for more than two weeks. And there are many other immunomodulatory or immunotherapy, and the biggest example of that is rituximab. And so now that we've reviewed that, Let's just briefly go over the vaccination schedule. Now we know that the most common vaccine in the US are the messenger RNA vaccines, again, Pfizer Moderna. So we're gonna review the schedule for those that are immunocompromised and over 12 years of age. So for the messenger RNA vaccines, the current schedule for both Moderna and Pfizer includes the first dose, three weeks, after a Pfizer and four weeks after Moderna, there's a second dose. About four weeks after those, there's a third dose. And if we wait two months, then we can get the new bivalent messenger RNA booster. 
We call it bivalent to differentiate it from the older vaccine version, which is called movalent, meaning that it only covers the ancestral COVID-19, the first strains that came out. The bivalent contains the more recent variant, which is Omicron. So it includes the newer variants. So that's where the messenger RNA vaccine schedule. If you have gotten Novavax, you would have gotten your first dose followed by a second dose about three weeks later. And then if you wait two months after your last dose, you can get the new bivalent booster. Now keep in mind that the bivalent booster is only messenger RNA vaccine. There's no other kind right now. If you got the Janssen, you would have been over 18 years of age, which is the only approved age for the Janssen or Johnson & Johnson vaccine. You would have gotten one dose, about four weeks later, a dose of messenger RNA vaccine, so Pfizer or Moderna, and then two months later, the bivalent booster. The big difference with the immunocompetent individuals, so those with normal immune system, is that the primary series consists now of only two doses of the older monovalent vaccine, followed by the new bivalent. Now, a lot of you may have gotten three doses of the monovalent, so that's totally fine as well. Ideally, you should complete the primary series with the same product that you started, but if that's unavailable or contraindicated for whatever reason, perhaps you had a severe reaction, then any other of the vaccines given 28 days after the first dose is totally fine. People who have had a recent COVID-19 infection would consider delaying the primary series or the booster for up to three months from symptom onset or first positive test. Thank you so much for that great answer because it can be very confusing when patients are up to date. So thank you for that. And what do patients need to know about the new variants? So great question. The first and the most important thing to keep in mind, monoclonal antibodies do not work against the newer variants. Monoclonal antibodies are artificially made antibodies that are targeted against COVID-19, and we have had many of them over the years. However, some of the newer strains have developed mutations that make them resistant or not susceptible to some of those monoclonal antibodies that we've been losing one by one over the past three years. So currently, there are only two that are available and each one has a little bit of a different indication. So first off is Tixajabimab, Silgabimab, or better known as Evusheld. This one's used for pre-exposure prophylaxis, meaning that it is given before you get infected in order to protect you. All immunocompromised patients have been eligible and most have received at least one, if not two doses, and these are usually intramuscular injections, one on each thigh, that are given every six months. Right now, however, it's only active against 10 to 15% of current variants, and although the FDA has not officially pulled out this particular monoclonal antibody, we have been very, very cautious about teaching our patients that even if they get it, there's an 85 to 90% possibility that they would still get COVID-19 and get sick from it. The second monoclonal antibody that we have is called Bepsilovimab, which is the only monoclonal antibody 
for treatment of active COVID-19 infection. However, same as with Epping shells, it's no longer effective, particularly not as monotherapy, but still remains available. Second, we have to keep in mind that there are still treatment options available for immunocompromised, non-hospitalized patients that have a COVID-19 infection. All of our antiviral therapies remain active, even against the newer variants. And so if you are sick with COVID and you fall into the high-risk category for progression, and that includes immunocompromised patients, patients with chronic heart, kidney, and lung conditions, patients with diabetes and obesity, and I would refer you to the CDC website to look at all the high-risk criteria but there are options for treatment. So the first one is called Nermatrelvir Ritonavir, better known as Paxlovid, which is an oral antiviral medication that needs to be given with, within five days of symptom onset, and the total duration of treatment is for five days. The second option is called Remdesivir, which a lot of you may be familiar with, but we have been using that in the hospital setting, you know, where patients are sick with COVID. But this one is an intravenous antiviral agent that can be given for high-risk patients, non-hospitalized, once a day for three days in a row. Because it is intravenous, it requires a prepared infusion center with capability of receiving patients with active COVID-19, so it probably requires a larger hospital infusion center. Some hospitals have been offering this treatment in their emergency rooms, but with current situation with many other viruses, this is not advisable. And lastly, the third option is Volnopiravir, which is another oral antiviral option that also needs to be started within five days of symptom onset. One very, very important thing to know about Paxlovid, it has significant drug interactions with many medications that we commonly use. And depending on the level of interaction, we may need to dose adjust a medication to discontinue the medication that's interfering, or depending on what the kind of medication is, we would need to look for an alternative COVID-19 therapy. So it is exceedingly important that if you do end up testing positive for COVID because of symptoms, that you reach out to your primary care doctor or your oncologist, give them an accurate list of your medications so that we can do a full review to make sure it is safe for you to take back COVID. And if it's not, then we can look for alternatives. Thank you so much, Dr. Diaverte, for sharing your time and your expertise with all of us today. You can find out more about COVID-19 and bone marrow failure diseases on our website, which is www.aamds.org. You can also find out more information about bone marrow failure by visiting us on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or give us a call at our helpline at 800-747-2820. This concludes our podcast.